Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. In the past few weeks, you've probably been hearing a lot about Bitcoin. 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 Nonstop Bitcoin. Yes, Bitcoin. Since the digital currency was created more than eight years ago, the price for a single Bitcoin has soared and then fallen, only to rise again like the phoenix. This past year, it has been on a tear, rising from $1,000 per Bitcoin to, at one point last month, nearly $20,000, and then dropping after that. We saw prices seemingly take out $1,000 marks at record levels every few hours. Cryptocurrency tumbled sharply in Asia, wiping out a fourth of its market value. So if all of this is leaving you scratching your head asking, well, how do I even go about getting this currency, let alone using it? Well, joining me to explain the rise of cryptocurrencies is Nathaniel Popper. He's a reporter with The New York Times who follows Bitcoin. And Nathaniel, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So every conversation I hear about Bitcoin always starts with... So what is Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? What exactly is a Bitcoin? Okay, it's your turn. (laughs) What is Bitcoin? Sure. Well, the simplest way to understand it is this scarce digital token of which there will only ever be 21 million. But what makes the token valuable and what makes Bitcoin special is that that token lives on a new kind of network, which is also referred to as Bitcoin. So you have this Bitcoin network that is backed up by all these computers around the world. um, And that network makes it so that there's nobody, no company, no government in charge of this whole system. So then who is using it? What is its value or its purpose? Right now, the way people are viewing it is essentially as a speculative investment. I think some people think about it as a sort of digital gold. It's a scarce digital asset. Only one person can hold each bar of gold, each Bitcoin. But in some ways, it's better than gold because you can move it around the world and you can move it across borders. And there's nobody in charge. There's nobody who can take your Bitcoin away from you. Early on, there were indications that people were using Bitcoin and other digital currencies for possible illegal activity like money laundering. Is that still the case? You know, right now, that activity has been damped down um, in part because the authorities took down a few of the biggest online black markets uh, last summer. Up until last summer, it was very important. And uh, those markets were actually playing a big role in the spread of, of synthetic opioids and the opioid addiction crisis. You know, recently, those markets have not been as active, but Bitcoin and other virtual currencies are still the only only way that you can pay for things on those sites. So we may use the word digital currency or call it a cryptocurrency, but really people are using it nowadays more like an investment. Yeah. And it's funny because I think that the word virtual currency is pretty misleading because it doesn't fulfill most of the roles of a currency. And what it is, is more like essentially a digital commodity. So why have the prices been so volatile recently? Fundamentally, there's just a disagreement about how valuable this idea is. There's essentially a debate going on in the price about whether this matters. Some people think it matters a great deal and that the Bitcoin, all the Bitcoin in the world should be worth as much as, if not more than all the gold in the world. But obviously on the other side of the argument, you have a lot of people saying, there's nothing backing this up. This is a Ponzi scheme. People are just paying in and they're making the people who used to hold it wealthier. And you know what you're seeing in the price is this kind of real-time debate about 
how much this thing should be worth, how valuable this idea really is. And it's not the only digital virtual currency that's out there. No, not at all. The excitement about Bitcoin has spilled out into this whole universe of new virtual currencies that have been created over the last few years. And you now have, you know, something like 30 or 40 different virtual currencies that are worth at least a billion dollars. And the number two virtual currency now is one called Ripple. And it's worth enough that as of yesterday, the co-founder of Ripple was worth more than Mark Zuckerberg, at least on paper. So is it regulated? Um, you know, when you are putting money into a Bitcoin exchange, that is generally uh, regulated. When you're moving money from your bank account to a Bitcoin exchange, the regulators are watching that. But even where it is regulated, there are a lot fewer rules than govern most other investments and financial transactions. And if your Bitcoin disappear, you don't stand much of a chance of getting them back. Okay, here's a bit of the reaction to Bitcoin and digital currencies from what I guess you could call the financial establishment. It is not a stable source of store of value, and it doesn't constitute legal tender. It is a highly speculative asset. I'm going to buy none of it next year. I'm not selling any of it. I'm not buying any of it. I'm not trading any of it. It is nonsense. It is, to me, a vehicle for speculation that's attracting people in, and it has all the classic ingredients of a bubble. I could care less what Bitcoin trades for, how it trades, why it trades, who trades it. If you're stupid enough to buy it, you'll pay the price for it one day. Okay, so that was Janet Yellen, chair of the Federal Reserve, investor Dennis Gartman, Ray Dalio, the founder of the hedge fund Bridgewater Associates, and then finally Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. So if I listen to these very smart people about finances and decide not to care one bit about Bitcoin or other digital currencies, could it still have an effect on, on my life? Yes. Uh, I mean, there are a number of ways in which it might affect your life. First of all, is that the Bitcoin economy is just growing and getting larger and the virtual currency economy is growing and getting larger. And so you have this new class of wealthy people in the world. But I think another element of this that's sort of the longer term horizon is that while banks and governments are, I think, skeptical of the value of Bitcoin as an investment, they are actually looking at it as an important innovation in sort of the financial system. And what you now have is a lot of governments around the world that are actually looking at using something like Bitcoin to record and store their own currencies. And so you've just seen Venezuela and Russia talking about creating national cryptocurrencies, which may allow them to get around American sanctions. But you also have the Bank of England and uh, the People's Bank of China talking about actually putting the pound and the RMB on some sort of Bitcoin-like system. So this is likely to sort of point to the future of how money works, even if it's not Bitcoin itself. Nathaniel Popper is a reporter with The New York Times. He's also the author of the book, Digital Gold, Bitcoin, and the Inside Story of the Misfits and Millionaires Trying to Reinvent Money. Nathaniel, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm Charlie Herman, and this is Money Talking from WNYC. 